This is the Buried and Born podcast. Today's episode is from our series on Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, Wisdom and the Foolishness of the Cross. Um, we're getting to the end here, 1 Corinthians. Chapter 14 is where we're going to be today. Um, 1 Corinthians 14 is sort of the closure of Paul's argument, of all of his arguments. He has been doing a mini-argument from 12, 13, and 14 on this idea of the gifts of the Spirit. His larger argument in this passage is 11 through 14, which is the church being in order and um, things being done decently in order. It is the second part of his larger argument, which is from chapters uh, 5 through 9, or 4 through 9, that the, uh, we shouldn't be dominated by sin, which causes harm amongst the body. And it's the closure of his even larger argument that it is the Holy Spirit who is doing a work in the church through the crucified Christ toward a certain end. And next week, chapter 15, not next week, excuse me, in two weeks, chapter 15 will be that end that he's been trying to build toward. Um, chapter 15 could be a class on its own that takes weeks and weeks to break through all the things that he means because we are doing uh, you know, larger walkthroughs. We won't, it'll take, we'll talk about it in a single week, but chapter 15 is Paul's, uh, in a book that is not dense on theology as much as it's dense on practice, how we practice the church. 15 is just this major, uh, speech that he gives that is basically everything that we understand about the resurrection in the new Testament. Um, but chapter 14, is going to be this closure of this middle, this, this small mini argument that he has. And it just seems like Paul does such a great job in this chapter and he's going to come in and I'm not going to read it until we get there, but he's going to come in at the end of chapter 14 and just really make our modern sensibilities frustrated and angry. So we're going to try to talk through those things. I'll try to be as honest as I can without trying to defer from it, but we'll get to it. So we just finished chapter 12 where he talks about the gifts and ordering the gifts. Then chapter 13 says the greatest of the gifts. The common gifts are faith, hope, and charity. The greatest of these obviously is charity or love. So in chapter 14, we start, he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters the mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, we're not getting too much into a theology of, of speaking in tongues, because that doesn't really matter too, too much for this series in particular. But the gift of tongues in the New Testament begins in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we see Peter stand up to preach at Pentecost. So we are 50 days after the resurrection. Christ has ascended. They've been waiting for 10 days. And now the Spirit is descending on humanity. 
it's a lot like what happens. It, it's, a, it's, it's, it's meant to draw a contrast to two stories that we see in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we see Moses go up, ascend up into the mountain as the prophet, and he comes and brings down the law. In the New Testament, we see Christ ascend up into the mountain and comes down the spirit. When the law came down from the mountain, we saw that they were singing and dancing and committing idolatry and thousands of people died that day. When Christ ascends and the spirit comes down, we see that life is given and the church is born. Is that Jurassic Park? Is that Jurassic Park? Oh, she's like, I don't know. I don't know how to download ringtones. (laughs) Sounded like Jurassic Park, but all right. So the spirit comes down and gives life. And this is part of Paul's message. The, the law is glorious, but in and of itself, it doesn't have the ability to give life. The law labels. The law lets you know that the thing that you're doing is called envy. So the law, although it is glorious, does not have the ability to give life to you. It has the ability to label what you're doing to make you knowledgeable about what sin is. The spirit, however, is life-giving. So when Moses br- brings the law down, the law brings death. But Christ, when he sends down his spirit, brings life. When they begin to speak in tongues, as the Spirit comes down, it's a story that's meant to be the reversal of the Tower of Babel. In the Tower of Babel, humanity attempted to come together, and at this tower, they're confounded, they split up their languages, and they disperse away from each other. In the book of Acts, when the people come together in this single city at this perfect place and time and the Spirit comes, the gift of tongues is given to the apostles and they begin to speak in the tongues of all of the scattered people with the single message that Christ is Messiah, Christ is Lord, turn from your false gods and come and serve the one true God. And all of the scattered nations hear these things and come together. So Babel is the breaking apart and the spreading of humanity and the gift of tongues in the book of Acts is the coming together of humanity into the church. Paul in Corinthians, and we don't see this in a lot of the other churches, seems to say that this gift is prominent in, in the Corinthian church at least, where people have the ability to speak in other tongues for the sake of those who are part of other languages to come and join into the church. That's essentially what gifts are, the gifts of of tongues are. And he's talking about it here. And I think he talks about tongues and prophesying for the sake of having two gifts to make his point. It's not that tongues and prophesying are the only gifts. We know that there's word of knowledge and word of faith and healing and administration and helps and discernment and all these other gifts that the Spirit has. But he's using these two because they're, they're the two gifts that help him explain what he's trying to say. And that's what we want to learn. Prophesying, on the other hand, is someone who understands and knows the Scriptures and can speak it. And the Spirit of God speaks through that person to say something true about God. That's what prophesying is. It's not future telling. It's not like we would think of prophecy. It's just preaching the gospel in a way that is true, that people can understand. So he has these two gifts. And he says at the beginning here, I want you to pursue love and desire the spiritual gifts. Remember that the gifts are at the Spirit's will to the person and people that he wills. You don't get to pick your spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit does. But the one thing that we can choose is love. That's why he says pursue love and desire the gifts. The thing that we can all have in common is love or charity. Remember we said last week, love is not this is not simply lovey-dovey emotionalism, like, I really like that 
Tom guy. He's so nice. Love is the care and concern for, for Tom and building up of Tom. Now, I can pursue that gift because we all can pursue that gift. Faith, hope, and charity are the universal gifts that we can all have. And he says, so I want you to specifically pursue love because what's going on in Corinth is they're pursuing that they want the magic ones. They want the tongues and they want the healing. That's what they want. So he says, I want you to pursue the, the, the gifts that everybody can have. But also I want you to desire that the spirit would work through you to do whatever it is that he wants you to do. Be, be glad to be a part of the body, however the spirit decides to add you to the body. However he wants you, I want you to, to, to desire those things. He's not trying to shut them down. So he says, but I would rather that you have one and not the other. Now he's establishing sort of a hierarchy here. And I want to make this point because it's going to be important we get later on in the church. It is not that actually pound for pound, he believes certain people are more important than other people. He weighs everything on the benefit to the body. So we are all equal in the eyes of God as far as members of the body. But the Spirit will choose to use certain people for certain functions that Paul says, this has a greater function than this, and that's okay. Does that make sense? And we don't, we don't live in a society anymore that really wants to see any sort of hierarchy. And Paul says, if someone were to come into the church and prophesy to the word of God, it would be, according to his math, uh, 10,000 is the weight of speaking to people that in a tongue that they understand versus five. He says later on, I'd rather speak 10,000 words in, in a language that you can understand than five in, in tongues. Why is this important? Because the people in the church are seeking after being able to stand up in front of everybody and have these tongues and people be like, wow, that's amazing. And Paul wants them to know the point of you having the spirit working inside of you is not so that other people can look at you and go, wow, that's amazing. Look at that amazing mountaintop experience. He says, if it does not benefit the hearer, then it doesn't have any benefit. And Paul says, some of you have the gift of tongues, and I like it that you have the gift of tongues. As a matter of fact, I wish you all had the gift of tongues because there are foreigners living where they're, 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 although Greek is, is common at this time, because of where they are and because of transportation and, and commerce and economics, the languages are all blending together here at a time where the Holy Spirit needs to have the gift of tongues. We don't really need it a lot in America right now. We don't really need it even in the world right now. Um, I think part of the reason you don't see tongues as much as you need to, especially in like America, for example, is that we, we have what you would consider a common tongue, even if it's not an official tongue. Uh, if, no matter where you go around the world right now, English would be the common language of economics and such. And so it's really not needed. And then also you have like Duolingo and a lot of people have no two or three languages. So the spirit doesn't have this dire need in a society where there's no possible way that a person is going to hear the gospel for him to start making Noah speak Mandarin, right? He doesn't need to, so I don't think we see that as much anymore. That's my personal opinion. And so Paul says, that's the whole point of the gifts. So I'd rather that someone prophesies. Why? Because the goal of a gift, the goal of the spirit speaking through you is that other people are built up and strengthened in their faith. So forget about the gifts now. Forget about whether it's prophesying or tongues. You specifically, if you desire to be known, to be used by God for the benefit, or, or, or if you desire to have what the Corinthians really wanted, which is the higher life, the better life, then he says, then it is doing good on behalf of other people where you will get to know God the most. You'll experience God when we ourselves become a channel that God moves through to do something for somebody else. Um, 
And so let's move on to this next section. He, the one who speaks with a tongue, he says, builds himself up. If somebody right now were to speak, be speaking in tongues, you would have one thought. Well, maybe there's two thoughts. Some of you would think it was fake. But let's say it was convincing. Let's say it was really convincing where Noah was speaking in such a way where you were like, no, that's not a weird babble. Like he's speaking Chinese. You would get nothing out of it other than, holy cow, look at Noah. God's there. And so he says, the, 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 the gifts that build you up are not the gifts that I really want you to look for. I want you to look for the gifts that empty yourself. Because why? That's what Christ did. That's what the crucified Christ does. He empties himself for us. I want you all to speak in tongues, verse 5. But even more, I want you to prophesy for the one who prophesies is greater. Are we okay with that in, in our society right now to say a sentence like that? The one who does a thing that helps people is greater than one who does something for himself. We don't want to. And I don't think, again, in the church, you would be able to say, you know, Noah's better than Ethan. Because in all reality, for value of human life, they're not, Noah's not better than Ethan. But if Noah serves people and Ethan doesn't, then the truth, and I'm not saying that, because you do. But then the statement would be, Noah's expression of the spirit is greater than, than Ethan's. So what is Ethan's option? To pursue the spirit, to say to the spirit, I want you. And the church at Corinth is saying, I want you, but what are the things they want? I want you to make me look good. And he says, I want you to tell God, I want you to help them. And when you do that, God will. That's how he operates. Let's, let's continue on. Uh, verse uh, six. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation? He's kind of backing that up. What would it be if I came and spoke in tongues? You wouldn't get any. That would be useless to you. If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what's played? Right? For example, on your phone just now, it really had notes that sounded to my ears like Jurassic Park. But if her phone just started going bing, bang, bong, bong, and I wouldn't know that it was Jurassic Park, but because it sounded like that, you know the, you know the song. And it, additionally, he says, if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Obviously, militaries would go off of bugle sounds, trumpet sounds, that would mean certain things. And if the bugle is unsure of what it's telling you, then the people who are in the military don't know what they're supposed to be doing. So Paul says, if I say something to you that doesn't make any sense, if I wow you, what good did I do for you? So with yourselves, if, your tongue, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? You'll be speaking into the air. And that's what we don't want to do at church. We don't want to come in here in whatever capacity that we are and just speak into the air and do something useless. We should benefit one another. There are doubtless many different languages in the world. Now here's Paul's going to start getting to the point behind his point. There are doubtless many different languages in the world as none, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll, I will be a foreigner. That's the word that's key here. Foreigner to the speaker and a speaker, a foreigner to me. What did we say the church is? The church is a body, right? It's a body politic. It's not just lovey-dovey body, but it's an actual body politic that is part of the new kingdom. And we have operational functions within us that make the church flow. And I said, what's the oil that makes the church flow? That's love. And Paul says, when we do things that are outside that operational body, what does it make us to each other? Foreigners. It's the exact opposite of what the body is supposed to be. When we separate ourselves or take glory to ourselves, we become foreigners with one another, which is he's going to show why that's not what the goal is. So 
with yourselves, since you eager, you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. He really wants to break down their point of, if you really want to do good, then do this. And sometimes that's hard for our, 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 our brains because we have an idea of, um, our, our, our oldest guy, Marcus is studying right now to be a pilot. And uh, he's practicing stalls where the plane stalls and you start to drop. And um, in it, when you're falling in a plane, the natural reaction is that you don't want the plane to go down. You want it to go up. And so you want to pull up on the stick, right? You pull up so I can go up. But you have to work against your conventional knowledge because the problem with flying when you're stalling is that you don't have enough airspeed to create lift. So you need airspeed. So you need to fall more to create more speed, to get more lift so that you can go up and that's against your brain. So when you start falling, you have to know, yes, let's push down into this. And Paul is, that's what Paul's saying to, to these people. You really want to have these great manifestations of the spirit. The thing you're looking for is the opposite of what you really want. If you really want to be on the mountaintop and know God and experience Jesus Christ, he says, it's going to come through you acting, as we have said, like the cross where God works through you to the benefit of others. And that's when you go, oh my goodness, I experienced God today in my service. And Corinth is like, I experienced God today because I spoke in tongues and everybody thought I was amazing. Yes. From a, from a mother-in-law of mine, they went to an Assembly of God church. Mm -hmm. She spoke in tongues. Mm -hmm. Um with her, I knew it was had to be real because she was a very simple mm -hmm. country girl, mm -hmm. really not knowing of the world itself. Yeah. And be in the middle of anything, and she would just all of a sudden start speaking in tongues, and not even know she was doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, but generally somebody in the church would say, "Is there someone that can interpret this?" Yeah. You know? This is the exact next verse. Therefore. The one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may, someone may interpret. Mm -hmm. How did Jesus send his disciples out? Two by two. two by two. The work of God is always done by humans, not through magic angels, and it's done through human participation and cooperation with one another. So he says, if you are going to stand up and somebody is going to say, Noah, start speaking in Mandarin, it better be in a situation and you better pray that Megan O'Neill is sitting in the service and goes, I know what he just said. And then she says it in a tongue that everybody can understand. And then we can all go, holy cow, I can't believe God just said that. That's what it is. Two by two and a cooperation. Again, what's the whole point of it? Noah says the thing that he says, and where does our attention go? It leaves Noah immediately and goes to the person who can interpret so that the glory doesn't go to Noah. It goes to God, right? That's how he operates here. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful, like you were just saying. I don't even, I didn't even know what I was doing it. So it's unfruitful to the mind. So it's not even beneficial to you other than main glory. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Paul, it, it almost is like, look, if there's anything that, forget about tongues for a minute. If there's anything in this church that gives glory to you, perfectly fine, but then leave it behind and go do the real thing. Don't ever be just satisfied with the, the momentary glory 
that you get from the church. Now it's you go back to the prayer and go, okay, now this is the this is the real stuff right here. Or I'm humble before God and I pray and I get his grace and get his mercies. Paul says do both. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't even know what you're saying? In this context, outsider is anyone without the gift. He's not talking about an unbeliever. So if someone were to start speaking in tongues, how would the outsiders, people who are outside that gift, have any benefit? How would someone in the church go, amen, if he was speaking Mandarin and we don't even know what he said, right? Uh, to your thanksgiving. So f- for, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. You may be saying thanksgiving in Mandarin Chinese, but is nobody built up and nobody could say amen. And my goal here is that you extrapolate this away from just simply tongues into just how we function in the church as a whole, right? Okay. For, uh, okay, 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I would like to see that part of Paul's story. Like, where was Paul going that he just started busting out in tongues and speaking to people in other languages? Because he never talks about it. And obviously, we can see in this chapter why he never talks about it. Because there's no reason to get glory for it. He's just trying to bring people into the church. Nevertheless, in church... I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. I want you to get that phrase where he says, in church, because Paul is now about to talk about two concepts, the difference between the church and in church, which is unusual when we're talking about the church. Um, even in recent years, we've had, there's been a lot of the, the church is not a building, it's a people, right? We, we hear that. We always overcompensate. Now we've like so overcompensated to the point where like the church is people, man. It's not a building, right? But we got to come together in the building in church. Now he's not talking about a building, but he's differentiating between the church where at any time, if I were to see you out in the street, we're going to Walgreens and you're in there, we're the church, right? And let's, let's keep Noah on the hot seat here. If I, were to, if I were to walk into Walgreens and Noah was in Walgreens, we would not be going to the same Walgreens. So not you. Let's say you. Ethan walked into Walgreens and we were in the same Walgreens together. Ethan can bless me. He could tell me that he's praying for me. He could say some word to me. He could say something that's beneficial to me. We would be brothers that met. But we are, although we are the church, the assembly, we are not in church. Paul and the early church viewed the, not even this, but the function that we do over there, the, what we call the worship service, what others might call uh, divine worship, divine liturgy, the liturgy. Um, you know, if, if you were to go to older denominations, you might hear called the mass, right? The events that happen in a specific time frame from start to finish as in church, the official function where we praise God, call people to worship, confess our sins, pray, sing, hear the word. Uh, take communion, people are baptized, and leave, right? That is what he's calling in church. This is important because I'm going to try to sell you on my view of the, the end of this chapter, okay? So that's important. And he sees certain things happening in church that matter, that may not matter when they're out of church. So let's, let's go on. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. This is a slight jab that we see from chapter two, where he says, you're not mature. I have to speak to you like children. In the law, it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners. There's that word again. Well, I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are not a sign for believers, but for unbelievers. So he says, the world is a bunch of foreigners. And by reversing Babel, our purpose is to make foreigners no longer foreigners. So if there is something that is making a person a foreigner to us, 
He says, the best gift of the spirit is whatever thing makes that person not a foreigner to us anymore, right? So Tom and Liz are not foreigners to us. So for me to speak in tongues to them would be useless because they're already not foreigners. But if we were to go out into the world to foreigners, that is why Paul says, I become all things to all men that I might save some. To the Jews, I became Jews. To the Greek, I became Greeks, right? So Paul says, I break down walls and barriers so that foreigners, and not even simply foreigners, meaning like literally foreigners from another country, but those who are foreign to the body, we are to break down those walls so that they may become part of us. And then tongues are, sorry, and then prophecy is a sign or is power. Remember that we said sign means power, is power for believers. When pastor preaches the scriptures today, that is the power of the word that is beneficial to us as believers. If therefore the whole church comes together in all the spoken tongues and outsiders or unbelievers, now he's talking literally about them, enter, would they not say you are all out of your minds, right? So if a person of a common tongue living in, in Illinois, speaking English, who's just trying to grow some corn, were to show up at our service today, and off goes Noah, not only in Mandarin, but then Tom starts speaking Spanish and Ethan starts speaking German. And it was confusing because, you know, you start, can't pick it apart anymore. They would think you were Paul's opinion out of your minds. He says, but if they were to, and this is the second part, but if someone is prophesying and an unbeliever enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. The secrets of the heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. I saw a picture of the uh, cathedral at Canterbury, where the Archbishop of Canterbury in England preaches and teaches. And this weekend, they announced that they are having their second annual silent disco in the cathedral. Silent what? Disco. So you put on headphones, and it's completely silent, but you're all listening to the same thing, and it's a disco. And I was talking to my buddy about it, and I was like, I just wish, and it's sad that you have to say this, about the Archbishop of Canterbury, who is the head of Anglicanism. I just wish that somebody would remember that the power of God unto salvation is the gospel. It doesn't seem like it. It seems weird to just announce to the world that Christ is Lord and you should come and follow him. It is not a silent disco that's going to save England. Like, what are you guys doing? The, the, church, the church in England has fallen off a cliff, and their response is, silent disco, that'll fix it. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. Paul says that. Preach the gospel and people will fall on their faces and turn from their wicked ways and come after the, the one true God. may not look, seem like it, but it's the only way. And so just preach the gospel. Okay, this is going to be fun. So orderly worship. Paul is going to list a whole bunch of things that just he thinks would help your worship. Take what you need from this. What then, brothers, when you come together, one has a hymn and a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be two or three at the most. We don't need 17 people doing it. And each in turn, let someone interpret. If there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Remember what Paul said about if there are things you can do, but there's not everything that you should do. So if... If Melissa decided right now that the Holy Spirit's about to speak through her and she was going to have a, she's speaking in a tongue that she didn't know and there's nobody in the church to interpret, just stay quiet. Just stay quiet. Yeah, but, but, but I have something to say. Doesn't matter. It won't help anybody. So Tim just stay quiet. <laughs> Tim's a lot more like Paul than you think. All right. 
let two or three prophets speak and let the other weigh what is said. Paul's, Paul's perfectly fine with saying, okay, somebody just got up and told you what the Bible says. Who other is spiritual people amongst us that may have something to say or contradict or say, well, I, I think this, do it. Paul says that's good. If the revelation is made by one sitting there, let the first be silent. So if, 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 for example, if Thomas wanted to say something right, that contradicted me. I can't imagine that would happen. But if Thomas <laughs> wanted to, it would be my obligation to be quiet for a few minutes and let him get his point across because the spirit may have something that, Tom, that he maybe said to me, I told you I wanted you to add this, but you were too dumb to understand it. And so I want Thomas to clarify this. <laughs> I'm giving him so much deference today. <laughs> For <laughs> you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged and the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So do all things for peace. And then as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches for they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. As the law also says is if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. <laughs> For it is shameful for women to speak in the church. I had, I had we, my Bible last week, and we were looking at it, and it said something underneath, and it was great, but I don't know uh, exactly what it said. What more needs to be said? Explain what it. Need, what more needs to be said, right? No. All right. I'm glad I've got three minutes. Let me try to give you my best guess, my best understanding of everything that I read. I want it to say less than it does, but I can't make it say less than it does. Just going to be honest with you. I've, I've gone every different angle. There are a couple extremes that you can go. Extreme number one, shut up in church. That's extreme number one. Second extreme is somebody faked this and added it. Somebody, how many of you have heard a pastor tell a story, an illustration that you know definitely didn't happen like that. You made sure that illustration was exactly the way you needed it to be. There is a theory that somebody took this passage and go, yeah, yeah, Paul's right. And you know what? There's some women that are causing problems and he didn't say this, but I'm sure he meant it. Let the women keep silent in the church. That might've happened. I'm not sure. Collectively over all of church history, every church tradition has accepted this part of the scripture as scriptures. So it's there. We accept it. So what do we think? A couple things. Number one, because in this next passage, he says, or was it that the word of God came only to you? Are you the only ones that it reached? He may specifically be talking about these ladies that we talked about in the early chapter that are speaking in tongues, letting their hair down and having a very sensual, provocative church service. And his idea is, okay, your penance is now I don't want you to say anything. Just sit down and be quiet. You have caused enough problems that now if you have a dispute or whatever, go home and talk to your husbands about it. The fact that he says, ask your husbands at home, it, it's just the way it's phrased, it seems as though there may have been some people that were just picking at everything. Someone gets up to prophesy and they say something and these loud mouth, and it just so happened to be women in this context. These women are like, well, we have the gift of tongues and we understand all these things. We speak to angels. We have the, we have the tongues of angels. And we, we, well, what about this? I, I knew a guy before, oh my goodness, every time the pastor would preach, he would end up in the pastor's office and say, well, pastor, I was reading and I didn't notice. And I was like, shut up, dude. Just go preach if you want to then. That may be the context. Personally, I think when it says, um, as in all the churches of the saints, it belongs with the last verse that it's, in all the churches of the saints, God is the author of confusion, uh, author of peace, not of confusion. And some of your scriptures may have it that way. I think it goes to the last one. He's not saying, as in all the churches, women should keep silent. 
I can't prove that because he also says it in Ephesians. So let's go back. I'm going to take, I'm going to go over, but I'm going to take this. Remember when I said the difference between the church and in church? When I, I, cause I asked some friends that I knew that are part of like very old church traditions, like Eastern Orthodoxy, they view in church, we'll call it the four walls of the worship service as having particulars. Meaning if I were to go out in the street and I were to talk to Tom and I were to have my hands like this, I'd be like, Tom, this is the greatest thing. No one would say there's anything wrong with that. But if you go into a church service, the people in the church should not have their hands like this because this is a sign of giving a blessing. That's the, the, way, the way it is to them. The priest is the one who stands forward and says, lift up your hands to the Lord, right? But you're not supposed to do this. He does this because he's standing in the place of Christ giving out the blessing. Then there's arguments. You may know people like this. In the old world, like when my parents were kids and went to Catholic church, you would kneel to get communion and they would place it on the tongue. Because if you take it in your hands, you get crumbs on your hand, you drop the crumbs on the floor, you're trampling on Jesus. Like they're very particular about the meaning of everything. How someone is baptized. There's a, there's a where the priest faces. There's a theory of ad populus or ad orentium. You either, you, you face, are you supposed to face the east because that's appropriate or are you supposed to face the people? These are big battles. And so I asked him and this is what he told me. So this is, I'm going, I looked up all the different, I looked up 200, 300, 400 AD church, church history. Most of them, when they say, Paul says, in the law, it says women should submit. They're talking about in Genesis, when God says to the woman, you will, uh, your desire will be to your husband and he will have control over you. Not because God wants it that way, but it was a f- part of the curse that, that women are going to be subjugated. They said the idea behind this, take it what you want and go to church. The idea behind this is that they were creating a particular that was meant for in church, in the walls, where women are playing a role where they are reversing what Eve did. Eve is willing to have a conversation with Satan, to talk, to hear him out. And when she spoke to him to hear him out, he convinced her. And so the idea that he told me was, by being silent, not because they're subjugated, but by being silent, it was a reversal and a mockery of what Satan did to Eve by saying, we no longer converse with Satan. It was meant to be a show. And he said to me, there was this certain thing, and I don't understand orthodoxy as well as I want to, but he said there was this where the priest enters and the women would stand in a semicircle in the church and the priest would enter. And he said it was purely symbolic that the women were forming a semicircle symbolically, if you were looking at them above, as the, uh, like the womb of Mary and the priest standing in the center of it was Christ coming into the world. And then he would walk out up to where the platform was where he would preach. It was a purely symbolic in the walls where every person was, was trying to play a role to make a story about the gospel. Um, even recently, a lot of people, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm long. A lot of people are giving pressure to Pope Francis. Hey, ordain women, ordain women. And he said the statement. He said, it is not better to be a priest than to not be. It is not a better role. He said, it is a different role. You can take that where you want. We could discuss this in a lot of terms. I do not think that Paul literally is saying you're not allowed to speak ever because he also talks about prophesying and speaking in tongues and yada, yada. I believe it's more of a sense of either A, these women were causing a lot of problems and he said, never mind, forgo your rights, as Melissa was just saying. There's no interpreter. You know what? You cause enough problem. You sit and be quiet. They were probably contentious. Or he's saying in the church, there is this role that each of us is going to play And this is how I want it to be done.
Thank you for listening to the Buried and Born podcast. We hope you'll continue with us through our series on 1 Corinthians. You can download notes for this series and others at buriedandborn.substack.com.